Thanks for listening to the Verbatim Word podcast, where we seek biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary. In the last couple years, getting infected took on a whole new meaning. But at first started with some small rumblings on the news about some virus in China, soon turned into a red alert for the entire world. As borders shut, schools shuttered, and people hunkered down, all in an effort to avoid getting infected. We did all our best to stay free of the infection, not touching our eyes or our face, singing our ABCs while washing our hands, sanitizing with gels and liquids if we could find them on the store shelves, even if they smelled bad all of a sudden. We covered our faces, canceled events, avoided everyone, kept our six-foot distance, and drew the shutters to keep ourselves and others free from infection. We learned tips how to keep from getting infected, took tests to find out if we were infected, made shots that promised we'd avoid infection. We tried to stop infections from spreading. We took temperatures at the door, answered entry questions and forms, made posters to help identify the signs of infection. And the old saying, we avoided it like the plague, well, it took on a modern context. We did everything and almost anything to keep from getting infected. At first, there was shocked when we were infected. Statistics about how many were getting infected. Updates on where people had been infected. And shame sometimes if you ended up infected. And while we realized we would all be infected and we couldn't avoid getting infected forever, we mourned the death that ultimately came for many who were infected. We as a planet could not ignore all that came from the infection. But there is another infection that is more dangerous than what we faced as a planet beginning in 2020. More wide-sweeping, more contagious, more detrimental, more deadly. And yet we ignore it for the most part, justify it at least in part, relish it in some parts, and celebrate it in many parts. And that infection is sin. We ignore the signs, we get used to the symptoms, and it runs rampant in our lives and in our world. And yet, there is a cure, and his name is Jesus. On the last podcast, we saw the spread of the news about Jesus, the frenzy it created on the shores of Galilee, as his newly called disciples and the people of of those parts discovered the wonder-working power of Jesus, who had the authority of heaven to speak the things of the kingdom and the power of divinity, casting out unclean spirits who had tormented some and healed the diseases that weakened many. And while the crowds lined up for this touch from on high, Jesus stepped away to hear from his Father on high, to be purposeful and clear on the mission that he was sent on. And that was to cure the greatest infection of all, the sickness of sin that runs rampant in our world. On this podcast, we see Jesus articulates the message and the mission Healing was great, and he'd continue to do it in part, but he will declare his purpose clearly when he will say eventually in the Gospels, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And what good news it is that Jesus alone is the cure for our infection of sin. Let's pick up in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. Jesus and his disciples had ditched the lakeside town of Capernaum, at least for a bit, leaving the crowds who had lined up early in the morning, seeking the miracles and healing. While the deliverance ministries were part of God's plan, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go into the next towns that I might preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons, removing the spiritual hindrances so that the word might be sown and planted. 
the healings taking a back seat for the time being because Jesus wanted it to be clear that that was not the thing, something the crowds had already started losing sight of, it seemed, seeking temporary relief when a greater problem laid under the surface. The healings and aspirin to relieve something that was far more serious. And it's in the midst of the healing moratorium that we read Mark 1, verses 40 through 42. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Though Jesus has sought to shift the focus from healing the bodies of people to speak to the hearts of people, this leper is desperate and comes to Jesus imploring him on his knees. The word therefore imploring is parakaleo, translated in some English versions as beseeching or entreat. Parakaleo means to call to one side, to summon. The root para means alongside, and also it's translated as to comfort in some places, to come alongside, to summon, to comfort. It's associated with the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said in John 14, 16, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The word helper there is paracleto, the helper, the Holy Spirit, who would come alongside and comfort. And kneeling there, this leper is coming alongside Jesus, summoning him, because he is desperate for the Spirit to work in his life, in his impossible situation. The man was a leper, infected with an incurable disease and a ghastly one. The disease worked slowly, a small spot or rash developing on the skin, but as it spread and the tissue died, it caused the one who was infected to lose the sense of touch. No longer feeling, with that came injury and loss of extremities, as the pain receptors are deadened. The automatic response of pulling back from a hot stove, no longer there. So skin burnt in fire and not noticed at all. Or the wincing and pain from a cut that has sliced through the skin, but unaware so that the sharp edge goes deeper. Or the throb of a broken bone telling us something is wrong, no longer in play, so walking on a broken bone that should be isolated and secured. All due to deadened senses. The unpleasant sense of pain is a gift meant to show us something that that it's not right. So we become aware and address it to bring healing and restoration. All that now missing, no longer protecting us or making us aware. And as the feelings went numb and the tissue died off, literally rotting, infected, decaying, you became the walking dead. Unseen at first, but spreading and growing and taking over, it was extremely contagious. And so the leper was cast out, not just to avoid others for risk of it spreading, but because the infection stank and was horrible to see. Social outcasts. Even a moderate infection could be smelled from a short distance. The rotting carcass attached to a moving body. Shouts of unclean, unclean were required, should there be a need to be near anyone though often the shouts were unwarranted, as the horrible smell and ghastly sight preceded the call of the unclean passing near. So this man, infected, and as Luke the doctor writes about this incident in his gospel, the man was full of leprosy, meaning in the advanced stages, probably about a decade now. So this man was unbearable to look at, unavoidable to smell, and probably gag at, untouched for who knows how long, and rejected from society because he was infected. In biblical types, leprosy is a picture of sin. It starts small and spreads. It deadens our senses, hardens us from feeling and being sensitive to its presence. It kills us slowly. 
It's highly contagious and even more so among the young. The Jews believe that sickness was the result of sin and in a way there is some truth since all sickness is a result of the fall of man in the garden. Though individually our illnesses are not necessarily a result of our sinful choices or punishment for our sin. So this disease would have been seen as a manifestation of sin. And though outwardly sin may not manifest itself or stink in such a putrefying way in a world that has gotten used to the sight and the stench, the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And from the Lord's perspective, our hearts as sinners are as appalling as this man looked and smelled. We can try and hide it from the world or cover it in the robes of self-righteousness or mask it with the strongest perfume we can find of good works. But in God's sight, he sees it for what it is. The spiritual state of the world today is leprosy, and as Luke put it, full of leprosy, the advanced stages. It took root long ago in the Garden of Eden, but it is now in its advanced stages, the stench of death overwhelming at times. It has permeated and taken over a world beyond feeling insensitive and unresponsive, unresponsive to even know what's, that something is wrong. But in this scene, when the leper walks up to Jesus, comes alongside him, and the crowds run away and the disciples hide behind one another, trying to keep their six feet distance as if that would help in this scene, Jesus, seeing this man, not just his health, but his heart, for what it is in God's sight, sees the desperation of this man and the faith of this man who humbly says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. There was no cure for leprosy, but this man has heard the rumors of what Jesus has been doing, healing the sick, casting out the demons, and he is desperate. He will try anything, but more than that, he seems to understand that this is more than a power. This is a person who has a will, that if Jesus wills it, it can and will happen. This man is putting himself out there, laying it all out there. If anyone can do it, Jesus can do it. Have you ever thrown yourself at the feet of Jesus? Gotten to the end of your resources, your abilities, your strength, and in that desperation, it leads you to Jesus? So many testimonies begin with desperation, of lives stained with sin, ruined by sin, dead because of sin, and yet it drives the sinner to Jesus. And you might have the false thinking of, well, I'm actually a pretty good person. But if you looked into a mirror, a spiritual mirror, what would you really see? It would be ghastly. You are covered in leprosy. No matter how good it has taken root, it has spread, and that has desensitized you. You think you're okay, but in reality, it's spread, and you are dying because of it. To become sick enough of the sin, and to finally be willing to come to be cleansed. Sin is the root of all of our suffering, all our hardship, all of our challenges. It's infected our world, our lives, our thinking, our hearts, our relationships, and it is spreading. But in Jesus, if we throw ourselves there, there is hope. Perhaps you found yourself on your knees before in life. Your circumstances have driven you there. The pain has driven you there. The loss or regret or burdens have driven you there. You kneel as you seek, a critical moment of recognizing the need. And on our knees, that's the place where we need to be. This is the place this man is in. There, kneeling, humble, asking, acknowledging it all rested in the will of the one who came, he came to. If you are willing, this can all change. He was asking for grace, a gift, an unmerited favor. And what happens next, though he may have dreamed of it, he still cannot fathom what is happening. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. 
As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Eyes of compassion. God in the flesh, understanding all the loss and pain of sin, touches the leper, something that had not happened in likely a decade based upon this man's advanced stages of leprosy. First, any sanely thinking Jew would never do this, knowing that they would become defiled and unclean ceremonially, even if they didn't catch the disease itself. But Jesus is the Holy One, pure, undefiled, and he can make others clean. My niece was visiting recently, and we were talking through life as a middle schooler, and friends and peers and choices came up in our conversations, and we talked about how we can be influencers or we can be influenced. And as Christians, we are to be salt and light, bringing influence to the world more than it is influencing us, because evil company corrupts good habits. We have a tendency to be defiled by corruption. One reason Paul tells the Corinthians who dwelt among wickedness to not be yoked together with unbelievers, quoting from the Old Testament with this charge, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. That which is defiled defiles. It is contagious, but not for Jesus. He is pure and holy and righteous and perfect. His touch passes on what is desired and he is immune to all that defiles. So there was no hesitancy for Jesus that he would catch the cooties, so to speak. He does not pull away from this man. He stretches out his hand and touches him. The first touch in 10 years. How powerful touch can be and how isolating it can be to lack the tender human touch. Our local hospital has volunteers called cuddlers. They're specially trained and well-screened volunteers whose job is to cuddle babies in the neonatal intensive care unit. Babies born premature or with medical issues that keep them in the hospital, not able to go home yet with mom and dad. Or in other situations, hospital bound with no future in place as they will go into foster care due to family circumstances. With some of these newborns fit to be in the hospital for months on end, mom and dad can't hang out all the time. They have to get back to work or have other kids at home that still need parents. Or they live hours away in rural communities and can't stick around by the beds or their little isolate incubators all the time. So the cuddlers step in, taking time to cuddle, to hold, to stroke, and to touch the babies, sit in the armchair right there in the NICU, and just touch the babies, since it is so essential for their growth and development. A basic human need that, if neglected, can have lasting effects. So professional volunteer cuddlers step in to give these babies the best chance under the circumstances. On the flip side, I had done some mission work in Bible college. We took some short-term outreaches to Romania. And in some of those orphanages, those children had been there since they were born, since they were babies, and they lacked consistent human touch. And you could see the mental and the emotional impact that it had upon them years later as they had gone much of their life without the basic human need met of being touched. We've made a big deal in our modern world of keeping our our distance, of, of giving each other our, our personal space, of giving ourselves six feet around us. And I think it's kind of detrimental. There is place for healthy human touch, healthy human interaction. One of the five love languages is physical touch. And that can be met through simple things like putting your arm on someone's shoulder as you pray for them or shaking their hand even. Just simple things that show and communicate affection and compassion. This man had not experienced that. Can you imagine the neglect of not being touched for 10 years? Who around you needs a hug? Who needs a high five? Who needs a fist bump? Who needs a side hug? Uh, who needs to be embraced? Who needs to be held? There is a need for, in our lives for healthy, physical, human touch. 
I grew up in a culture in Hawaii that really honored physical touch, um, embracing people, giving people hugs when you saw them, um, maybe even a kiss on the cheek to say goodbye. That was really something that was valued. And then I found myself over on the mission field in Europe, which keeps a little bit more distance, maybe extending a, a handshake to people when you see them. It was quite different from what I was used to. And I found myself after a couple of years, really with a physical touch deficit, I felt like. But one of my highlights of the week was when I went to the old, the retirement home where the old people lived and many of them had no visitors throughout the year other than our Bible study group that met once a week. And I remember just the simple thing of physical touch, of placing my arm on these old ladies in their wheelchair, their shoulder, or helping them out by grabbing them by the hand. And just that physical interaction, it really felt a need in my life. And I realized really filled a need in their life as well. There's something about healthy physical touch that God has designed us for that connection. And it's not good that we are alone. God gives us spouses. God gives us family. God gives us the body of Christ. And part of that need is to be met is that we're not alone. We realize we connect with people, even on a physical level, in a way that's healthy, in a way that communicates friendship and support and love. And that's something that we've been lacking in our world the last couple of years, hasn't it? This man had not been touched. And now he is touched by the holiest of hands and the hands of the one who shaped and formed him all those years ago in the womb. How life-giving this simple touch must have been. But the touch was just a means to a bigger end as cleansing took place and immediately the leprosy left him. Imagine that, years in the making, this leprosy showed up and spread and grew and intensified, a gradual, painful, debilitating takeover of the man's body and life. But now in an instant, the leprosy is gone. Does this mean the skin cleared up, the fingers grew back, the scabs healed over, the sensations return? It sounds impossible, a science fiction movie in the making, but the creator makes it happen, and this man is made well in an instant. Oh, the touch of Jesus, how powerful it is, the forgiving power of Jesus to cleanse us from our sin. Positionally, when it comes to our sin, being forgiven, it happens in an instant. The repentant sinner who receives the forgiving touch of Jesus is forgiven in a moment. All the sins of the past, the present, and the future, they're gone, removed and paid for at the cross. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Practically, that cleansing from old ways and habits and thinking and action may take longer to purge from our lives. But as it stands between Jesus and the sinner redeemed, in an instant, we have been made well. Do you know the forgiving touch of Jesus, the cleansing that comes with his power, paid for on the cross and proven in the resurrection? By faith, we can be made clean, forgiven once and for all in the eyes of the Father. Now, this is extraordinary. He's a pioneer in this field. Leprosy was incurable, so there's no precedent for this. A handful of people in the scriptures miraculously healed from the disease prior to this. Moses, when he put his hand in his robe and brought it out leprous, put it back in and saw it was cleansed, a picture of the message that he would deliver. Miriam, Moses' sister, struck with leprosy after her criticism of Moses, God's chosen leader, put out for seven days but cleansed and restored. And Naaman, a Gentile, a Syrian with leprosy, an undeserving man who was cleansed by God under the ministry of Elisha, something none in Israel had experienced. There is no cure for the disease, no precedent for the healing. So what now? What for this man there standing before Jesus now made whole? What should he do? Mark 1, 43 through 45 tells us, And he, Jesus, strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. 
but go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. While this did not happen in Israel before, there was provision made in the Old Testament of what to do should a cleansing ever take place. It's in Leviticus 14, the standard operating procedure for what to do in this scenario. The leper was to go to the priest who would make the call if a cleansing had indeed taken place, and then the prescribed sacrifice to be made under the circumstances. But with this, while this had been written down for over a thousand years by Jesus' day, those protocols had never really been used as far as we know. Priests had read and learned the, these procedures, but never put them to use. The page was not highlighted or dog-eared. It was none of those. Well, you have to cover this in class, but it won't be on the test sort of things. It was something that had been there and had never really, they'd never really gone over and put into practice. But now Jesus tells him to go show himself to the priest, the only ones who could officially declare, declare him to be clean in their society, and then to do the sacrifices. He was to tell no one else but to tell the priests as a testimony to them. Jesus knew the crowds were responding. They were hungry for a touch from God, and he was doing his best to keep the crowds at bay for now, to focus on spreading the message more and, and than doing the healings. But Jesus had a burden for the religious leaders of the day the ones who were to have been looking for him on the horizon and who had strayed so far from the heart of the law and gotten caught up in their own twisted system based upon the law. Jesus says, show them. He had a heart for them and wanted them coming back to the truth. Imagine over a thousand years earlier, God through the hand of Moses had written a procedure manual for the cleansing of lepers, never been used until this day perhaps written for this day to testify for Jesus to those priests. It would speak to them in a different way than it would for the crowds, as they would have had to pay attention that God had done a miracle, that Jesus had performed this miracle, and ultimately that Jesus was God. God had divinely put this into Scripture way in advance for this day that a testimony would be given to those religious leaders because Jesus doesn't think anyone is beyond being saved or anyone is beyond having their eyes open to the truth. Sometimes we wonder in our lives, why God? If you could have stopped it, why am I going through what I'm going through? Or why didn't you heal me? Why did you let this progress in this way? Or let it get to this stage? For this man, I imagine he wrestled with these same things. But on this day, it was so that he could be a testimony. A thousand year testimony in the making. And his burden was actually an honor. To be used by God in this way, to testify of Jesus to the highest leaders of the land. Of course, based upon their belief that illness came from sin, they would assume that this was the case. That God had punished this man for something that he had done in their thinking. When Jesus' disciples saw a man born blind in John 9, we read, And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. God can and will use even the hardest things in our lives for his glory, that God should be revealed. And for this man, the 10 years of pain, suffering, isolation, rejection, it would be redeemed this day as he returns to the priests at the temple to be pronounced ceremonially clean. And they would remember this man, and he would have been to the religious leaders a decade or so earlier, officially pronounced unclean by the priests, now to return a testimony to them before their eyes. 
We don't always get to pick and choose our ministries, do we? Sometimes God lays upon us a burden or a yoke asking us to carry it. And that we may writhe and squirm and complain and protest. In the end, our lives are for His glory in whatever ways He sees fit to bring that about. We do see later in the Gospels and in Acts that many of the priests came to the faith, God using a thousand-year-old portion of Scripture and a decade-long suffering as a loud and bold witness to these religious leaders who needed the message of the Gospel just as much, if not more, than the common folk who made up the crowds in Galilee. Notice something Jesus told this man. And he, Jesus, strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. It appears that Jesus wanted to avoid drumming up the crowds and to reach out to the religious leaders in this situation. But the man disobeys goes out, makes some noise, and the crowds press in, something Jesus was trying to avoid at this point. But wait a second. On the last podcast, we see the importance of spreading the news, of telling people. Jesus is calling this man to obedience. And in Jesus' wisdom, the smaller audience in Jerusalem was more pressing at this time. But the man is disobedient. Ironic. Just cleansed by Jesus, a picture of sin and forgiveness. And his first response? Disobedience. Sin, choosing what he wanted over what Jesus said, was best in this situation. This is freeing in a way as we recognize our own nature. Forgiven by Jesus in an instant, redeemed as sinners, now called saints, but practically, we still walk in sin and disobedience. But Jesus doesn't rip away the healing or or call us unforgiven when we do disobey. He works with us through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to come into obedience, to bring all areas into obedience under his authority, his leading, his guiding. I remember meeting with a young disciple who was sort of in a panic, reading this verse to me from 1 John 3. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And this new believer was in a panic, seeing the verse and yet reflecting on their own life, and they could see that they were still sinning, had not been perfected. They were wrestling and struggling with their same old sins. His seed remains in us, and we cannot sin the way that we once did, because there is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus' nature in us wrestles and leads us to repent, a continual process of sanctification until all things are brought under his authority, every action, every word, every thought, every motivation. There is room for grace for this man. As he begins his new life cleansed by Jesus, perhaps he would understand later when he saw the crowds pressing in and could no longer fight an audience with Jesus to even thank him most likely, or as he watched the religious leaders grow in opposition to Jesus, that he had had a chance early on to tell them what Jesus had done, and that it was good and from God and that he had missed his chance, perhaps later this man, previously a leper, would see and reflect and say, Jesus was right. I shouldn't have told all those people. I should have just gone to Jerusalem like he asked me to. And to do that thing would have been more fruitful than me going out and spreading it to everyone. As is often the case when we have walked in disobedience, we do what we think is right in the situation. In hindsight, we realize that God is truly right and always is. And we should have just obeyed. And we would do well to obey all that he commands. Hopefully then the next time we keep that in mind, and we do the right thing.
the first time. We live in a world that puts a lot of emphasis on the outward. As long as it looks okay, don't dig too deep beneath the surface. So if it doesn't look well enough, put some makeup on it, work out a little bit more, put on some good clothes, splash on some perfume. Just don't get too close to see the flaws. If there are any flaws, we can use Photoshop to make it look a little bit better. When it comes before the Lord and standing in the mirror and looking at what He truly sees, all of us, if we looked at our hearts, would see that they are corrupt that they are fallen, that they are broken, that even more gross than this leper walking through this crowd, that God sees the heart and he sees our hearts. And we know our hearts as well, though we might even deceive ourselves, being self-deceived as to what we really look like in the inside. When it comes to really understanding and coming under the power of the Holy Spirit to see who we truly are, we're often met with shame, with guilt, with feeling overwhelmed with who we really are as sinners. And so we pretend that we're not, we deny it, we lie to ourselves and we lie to others. And yet in that there is no forgiveness, there is no redemption, there is no being set free. Jesus sees us for who we truly are, and yet he's moved with compassion. He doesn't reject us, he doesn't despise us, at least not at this point, until we get to that place of eternity of having rejected him fully, that's when he'll say, I never knew you, but for now, He can put up with the stench. He can put up with the disgusting uh, way that it looks. He can put up with how gross our sin is. And he is moved with compassion. And he will reach out and he will touch us and he will cleanse us and say, be healed and use our lives as a testimony for his glory. We've got to be honest with what we are as sinful men and women. We can't hide behind the the looks that we can put, the righteous works that we can put. We can't just show to everyone how good we are and yet inside be corrupt inside. We need to be honest with what our sin really is. Jesus in Luke chapter eight, he spoke a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. He says this, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. May the Lord humble us in our recognition of just how sinful we are. May we be honest with that. May we be truthful with that. But may we also come in humility, kneeling before him and saying, Jesus, if you are willing, make me cleansed. That is the prayer of repentance. And that is all that keeps us from being in God's presence, not just now, but on into eternity. God can forgive sinners. It's the powerful work of the cross. It's the message that we need to hear. And it's the message that the world needs to hear today. We don't need to be like the tax collector or like the the righteous man who pulls himself away and say, thank God I'm not like all those people. Yes, the world is corrupt. Yes, the world is broken. Yes, the world desperately needs Jesus. But we don't need to pull away in our robes of righteousness saying, don't touch me, you're all so unclean. They need to hear the message too, that Jesus can forgive us. 
and that we have been forgiven, that we who were lepers, that we who were dying, that we who were rotting, that he has been able to forgive us and he can forgive them as well. We love because he first loved us. And may that love of realizing what Jesus has done in our lives be a way to extend that love to other people with compassion for them as well. You know, we need to be aware of ourselves. If we are weak, we don't need to be out amongst the biggest sinners or those who are struggling with the things that we used to struggle with. Someone else might have that ministry right now, although we can pray from afar and ask that God would move in their lives. But we who are undefiled, we who have been forgiven, we who are righteous, we can be in those places and touch those who are lost, touch those who are in need, and see the cleansing power of Jesus go through us as Jesus brings forgiveness and awareness of that he can set us free from those old lives and restore the lives that have been broken and that have been lost. And so, Lord, we thank you for for the forgiving power and the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you've done in our lives, Lord. If we are believers, we rejoice in that. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking in our own self-righteousness that we've somehow done it. And if we've lost sight of the fact that you did cleanse us, Lord, that you did set us free and that we were helpless, we were hopeless. There was no cure for our sin. But Lord, you miraculously have set us free from it. Lord, help us to walk in the fullness and the newness of life. Lord, give us a burden for the lost and help us to go out to reach those and to spread that message and pass that message on. Forgive us, Lord, for our lack of compassion. Forgive us for our hypocritical spirits and help us, Lord, to see us with the eyes of compassion that you can see the sinner with. And Lord, for those who might be listening who don't know you, Lord, who are covering up, who are hiding their stench, who are dying in their sin and yet won't repent, I pray, Father, that they would realize that they can come humbly before you. Lord, they don't need to clean up their act. They don't need to get rid of all their old habits. They don't need to have the power on their own because they don't have the power on their own. But Lord, you will forgive them, you will cleanse them, and you will give them the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in righteousness. Lord, you will give them all things for life and for godliness, for new life and for godliness, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us and abandon us on this journey. Thank you, Lord, that when others have rejected us, you have accepted us, Lord. And may your love just abound in the church. May they have a heart for the lost. May they reach them boldly and profoundly by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by their methods, not by their ways, not by watering down the message and saying, we accept everyone. Lord, we accept everyone as sinners, but we see them as sinners who can be redeemed and saved and walk in the newness of life and the purposes and plans that you have them, have for them according to the word of God. And Lord, may that be our message. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.